It's now time for the Christmas edition of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, and me, C.C. Broadus. Christmas from the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, episode number 128. We'll have us, uh, we'll show us a guest, and then later on we're going to air out some grievances. Uh, to join me is Alan Schneider. Alan Schneider, my question for you, do you know what a tauntaun is? Tauntaun, no. Like, like a drone, like a tom-tom? I, no. no, no, no. Tauntaun? In. In is it Nancy? Tom I do. I do not know. It was in the movie Empire Strikes Back. The Tauntaun is what the people on the ice world of Hoth <laughs> rode around in. And I, uh, mine passed away this morning as I was oh. going to ride it. Oh yeah, I was going to ride it from the house to the mailbox, and I, I got halfway down the yard and died. So, rest in peace to my Tauntaun. I didn't know you had one of those. You have more money than I thought you did. That's impressive. Well, no, yeah, not everybody can can afford such a luxury. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. I, uh, Actually, uh, I buy one, I leased it. <laughs> I'm sure you miss having it today because I'm looking at the little Google thing, whatever you call this thing on the desk here, and it says it's one degree. It has warmed up to one degree here in Louisville, Kentucky. It was minus eight earlier, as I'm sure everyone's aware. I was outside in it, and it has every it was every bit of that. That wind was ass-kicking brutal. I was trying to shovel my uh, elevated driveway, and I had to give up. It was, it was, and I was, I was pretty well bundled up too. It, it, it's, it's serious out there, isn't it? Yeah, I don't remember it being this way in a long time. I brought the pets indoors, and that was. Uh, I'm second guessing it right now as I'm surrounded by cats. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, cats poop a lot. I, mean, they, I don't have cats. I'll take your word for it. I mean, they are just, uh, yeah, they they are relentless with uh, with the litter box. There's litter all over the kitchen floor and water where they've spilled the water. I mean, it's yeah, it's a it's a shit show here. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry to hear that. Are you warm though? Are you warm? The heat's working. That's that's good. A lot of people may not be as fortunate, but I, again, it is it, it. This one lived up to the hype. They said it was coming. They said it was going to come rapidly because it was forty. Something agrees at six o'clock, and they said it was going to drop rapidly, and it certainly did. So, it's it's going to go away, but it's going to take us a couple of days. So, Merry no, Christmas. I'm good. I'm sitting here in my pajamas, and I've got a Moscow Mule. Oh. Made with bourbon, tastes like ginger ale, mixed with shit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's going to be a going to be a long afternoon. I just see that uh, Jeff Hiles won the second race at Gulfstream. Oh, good a- for him. Yeah, and then last night, uh, our uh, a previous podcast buddy Derek Bright won a race yes. at Turfway, Desoto's War. Yes, he did. Uh, we've had uh, Jack Gilligan's been on a roll. Uh, we we're going to talk to Declan Cannon here shortly, who's been on a roll. Sarah Hamilton's been on a roll. Uh, Farron's off to a good start out there. I mean, we can go on and on. It's like that's uh, why we enjoy doing this, right? Uh, well, I can see these people have success. Yeah, speaking of uh, Turfway. 
I just want to go over some of these stats here. I, uh, no question who's the, the leading jockey at Turfway, and that's Gerardo Corrales, who I think served a suspension this week. Yeah, he's still up big time, and he's I think he's on a two- or three-day suspension. I don't know how, how that works with the cancellation and the Christmas and whatever, but, uh, yeah, he hasn't ridden in a couple of days. He's due to be back on Wednesday, it appears. Okay. So, and then, yeah, Corrales uh, had 28 wins through 76 starters, 36% win percentage. That's incredible. 50, mm-hmm. 56% on the board. And then second was uh, Joe Ramos. 15 wins. Uh, I, I've been saying that w- w- real quick. I've been saying for a while, uh, Ramos really underrated rider. Uh, he's getting better mounts now, but he'd always ride hard. He'd always be your super effective guy. I think he won the Indiana title, but he's like I said, he is riding very well, but I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, the, the third one was uh, kind of a surprise to me. It's kind of been a, a quiet third place. It was Luan Machado. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to this, he's got 10, 10 winners. He rides for William Callens. That's one reason he's got a bunch yeah. of wins. There you go. Well, that, yeah, speaking of, we'll go down to the uh, trainer standings. Palo Lobo, according to this, this was from Echo Base. I ran this earlier. Palo Lobo, seven wins from 20 starters. Mm-hmm. That's uh, impressive. And then uh, Dougie Cowens, it says six out of nine. I thought he won number seven last night. Uh, it may be. Maybe it didn't update or whatever, but uh, he did He didn't win again. He he had a firster uh, that uh, – didn't fire, but so six out of nine, six out of ten, five, something like that. It's it's still impressive, whatever the number is. Yeah, then go to, it goes down to uh, Maker, Bill Morey, Juan Cano, Larry Ravelli, Eric Foster. The the uh, the same old same olds. Yeah. But, uh, you still make money off them because they're not big enough names. So they, they, all these guys drift up. We mentioned Declan Candid we're going to have on. He's fourth. He's just a hair out of third place in the standings, right? Declan Cannon is fourth. I, I wasn't sure. It says here that he won nine. He's he's nine out of sixty-two. In no effect, it counts last night's. I believe it does count last does, night. Does count? I, okay, so maybe these we're gonna, are right. We're going to touch on his incredible ROI later too. It's insane his ROI out there. See, do I have an ROI? No, I don't. It's no, about two hundred twenty-five percent. Anyway, without further ado, Alan, why don't you introduce our Mr. Uh, Declan Cannon, right? Mr. Declan Cannon in Fuego. All right, on this cold, snowy, brutal day here in Louisville where we're all trapped inside or whatever, we thought we'd, uh, in this impromptu pod we put together, we thought we'd bring on a hot riding guy. His riding would definitely warm up this, uh, warm up the third industry of late. It's, uh, Declan Cannon is joining us as he's trapped inside his house here in Louisville, just like we are. And, uh, Declan, how you doing, buddy? Great. And, uh, thanks for having me on. It's, um, it's nice to have a day off and, uh, but it's uh, definitely not a day to be riding, that's for sure. Although I did, I did have some okay amounts tonight, so anyway, can't can't do anything about the weather. Oh yeah, I've, I've, it's been it's been canceled for so long now that I forgot that we had, you actually were supposed to be riding tonight at Turfway. Just you know, but of course Turfway could obviously could not ride, and I, I've already forgotten that. How many did you have tonight? Uh, I think I had um, three or four. I had oh, no, I had um, had five. I think yeah, five. I had. And, you know, um, yeah, so but can't do anything about it. It, it, it was the right thing. I, I just wish, uh, you know, it would have been better if yesterday was day meeting because getting home last night was, was pretty hairy. It was, uh, I got home about one thirty in the morning and there was a wreck before LaGrange. So, I mean, there was a lot of people stuck, stuck going nowhere last night. So. It, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about anyway and stuff because you did, as, as if you, anybody watched Turfway last night, they decided to get the Thursday card in. 
And, and, and in fairness, it was nasty from the get-go. It was just a different kind of nasty, right? And it deteriorated yeah. throughout the night, and they were able to just squeeze that last race in. But it was it was dicey. And uh, so I was at, wondering if you stayed up there last night or you did drive home. So you did drive home, and it took a while, huh? Yeah, I got home, but I, I didn't get home. I was doing 15 mile an hour from before LaGrange. Like, it was stop-start. Um, like I said, there was a lot of cars going off the roads and stuff. Um, I mean, it was... It was the freezing. It, it it was it was freezing rain, and then it got real slick, and the snow was sticking. It was the worst conditions I've ever driven in. Is it really? Yeah. Um, so, did you leave directly after the last race? I, were you in the last race? I can't remember. No, I I rode the seventh. I didn't even get a shower. I literally didn't watch the replay. I won the race, jumped in the car, and was gone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get as far down the road before it got, but it, you know. It was going to be bad regardless, but I think I think the 71 did shut last night at some stage, um, but, but I just got past it before it shut. So. Yeah, you know, we sometimes yeah, I think as horse players get a little bit jaded and they live in their own little kind of a bit of a self-centered bubble lots of times. And to put on that show, a turf we put on last night, that took a lot of dedication and sacrifice by a lot of people there. The flip side of that is, is there's a lot of people who, when those races were over and everybody went to bed here in their homes after they bet those races, the the real the real stuff started for a lot of people. I know a lot of people got stuck out there too, right? They did. Um, I was talking to one of the van drivers that they they didn't get off the road till eleven this morning. I mean, or no, nine thirty this morning they got moving. They they got stuck with five horses on the van. So, um, I think some of the van drivers that were going to Lexington were okay because it's only it's a shorter drive, but um, there was some horses coming back to Louisville here that got got pretty pretty stuck. Well, we're glad you made it, obviously. And we and I certainly, since we all sincerely hope that everybody made it home at some point. I know it's been tough, not just them, but the horses that they transport and stuff too. So, looking back, I'm sure Turfway wishes they had race racing today. It was a deal that only is an eight race card. It changed dramatically towards the end. What was it like riding in that throughout the day yesterday? Because it was raining and cold, and then the snow hit about right about the time you won the last race, at the seventh race. What was it like overall riding that? You know, it's not too bad once you're riding races back to back. And but if you if you're going out there and you're you're already you know you're not you're not warm, it, it takes one race just to kind of get that cold air in your lungs and get used to it. I mean, obviously you have thermals on and masks and, and gloves and. I even put surgical gloves inside my gloves just to keep the warmth in. But, I mean, it, it just makes the job a little harder. But, um, look, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> we get paid to go out there and ride, and, you know, it's what we love doing. But it does make it harder in those kind of extreme temperatures. There is a balance that you have to strike as a jockey, right, where you need to stay warm, but you can't wear that much, right, because you got to make weight and stuff. So how do you – I mean, what what would be your typical attire – on a night such as that, that would that would find that balance for you. Well, well, I'm luckier than most. I don't really battle with the scales, um, so you know I, I can wear I can wear good good set of thermals and a couple of tops, and then you know they give you a couple of pounds for for winter gear. So um, you know it's, but I, I do feel sorry for the guys that have to take off weight extra weight just to wear extra clothes. Yeah, and and it's night time, so you, you can't eat much during the day, and it's a vicious cycle. Um, yeah, so 
it does make winter racing at night is it's not really much much fun well i guess one good thing about it is is when you're winning races the way you've been winning so far this turfway meet it's a little bit easier to handle some of those conditions uh i believe as i checked i knew you was doing really well but i believe you're fourth in the standings right now which is no small feat because it's a pretty strong jockey colony and those included two last night right i think it was i want to say on the spree and of course there's the big boy in the seventh race fair game uh, I remember, didn't you come up the rail and on the spree a little bit? Did you come up the inside? On, yeah, on the... I, got a lovely, I got a lovely run around the inside. And, um, yeah, it was just, it just opened up lovely for me. Um, but, uh, you know, for some reason the rail does usually open up at, at Turfway. And uh, I thought on, on the Helen Pitts one earlier, I thought the rail would open up and it never did. I kind of had to eat that one a little bit. But, uh, you know. It did later, had, didn't it? It did later, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about because I was going back and thinking about what you accomplished last night. And I don't know, maybe when you won on the, on the spree, you just thought maybe the inside was pretty good with the weather and you took it because you got them from the 12 hole. For those that don't know, Declan won the feature last night at Turfway in that terrible weather. He came up the rail from the 12 hole somehow on fair game at about 40 to 1. And I was just wondering if you learned something from on the spree that actually said, hey, the inside's good. Or did you just get lucky and a hole showed up? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of jocks have, you know, think there's a bias with the rail being dead. But when the rail, when the track's really cold, I think it rides pretty tight. So um, I said to myself, I'm just going to stay here and I know it'll open up. And sure enough, it did. Uh, you know, sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. But it's, you know, going the shortest way around is, is always best, in my opinion. Yeah, I was, uh, I was taking a look because I knew you had a good meet so far. And I was actually looking at some of the numbers. You've won nine races so far in 62 mounts. That puts you at fourth, just by third. And you've won on a 28 to one shot this meet. You've won on a 21 to one shot. And you won on the 40 to one shot last night. You add all that up for every $2 that you bet on Declan Cannon so far this meet. It's $124 by my math. My rudimentary math tells me you've gotten back $260. So did you know that you're actually, uh, you're like an ATM for people that uh, you, you've over doubled their money so far. If anybody was wise enough to bet the Irish guy. Well, I haven't been getting much hate on, on, on Twitter lately, so there must be, uh, must be keeping some of them punters happy. <laughs> Screw those guys. Screw those guys. But yeah, you've, you've kept some people happy or whatever. So it's been impressive. Plus, I think, uh, you had a big second for Sarah the other day, Sarah Hamilton, right? On a, on a first timer. Real nice horse. Yeah, Philly by yeah, Philly by Flatter. She she's gonna be okay. Um owner is a very good friend of mine, Dennis Park, and uh he he used to own a Philly called uh, Lucky Betty. So uh this is the second horse. You uh do you, do you like I mean I take the weather aside for a moment. Do you like riding at Turfway? I don't mind it at all. Um you know, like I say, when when you're busy and you're winning races everyone you know you know you just get on with it it's um if you're riding one and two and they're spread out like when you're busy it's fine yeah so i mean the decision the decision to go to fairgrounds come up at all this year would you say i'm going to stay home the turfway's on the upswing the purses are good uh, what went into that decision bit of both obviously the money was good and i was having a numbers wise a bad year off my injury so it was the logical thing to stay home and Obviously, the money being good and, you know, there's plenty of good barns supporting it. Um, 
justice is home. So it was just a sensible thing to do. And uh, I think we need to backtrack a second. You say the numbers weren't good. I think the numbers are really good. I think you've been getting better as the year went along. The numbers are there. Uh, I, I think you're doing right. We went to Delmar earlier this year, did, did you not? Correct? My yeah, I did. I, did. I didn't do very good, but, uh, you know, Calumet asked me to go out and ride for them. and They've been good supporters of mine. And, you know, it was a six-week meet. Um, so we took a chance and went out. And I enjoyed it. It was... Obviously, California-style racing is very different, but I think, if anything, it made me a sharper rider, just to the way the pace scenario and races mm-hmm. are set up out there. It's, from, for me, it was it was good experience. I was going to ask you if you miss it out there a little bit, but I would say maybe today that you actually may miss it, that's uh, from the racing, right? It's not 75 here, is it? No, it's far from it. But, uh, yeah, the, the weather out, it's just the perfect climate out there. It's um, There's nowhere like it. Uh, and when you rode it in your native Ireland, and I know the weather can get pretty sucky over there, right? Um, is it? Did you ever ride? I mean, did you ever ride in conditions worse than what you rode in last night? Or I mean, I'm sure you have, right? No, I haven't. I haven't. Really? Last night was the worst <laughs> night you've ever ridden in your career. Yeah, I mean, now there's there's been nights where it's you know I think we got relatively lucky last night, but I yes, mean there's nights where. There's nights where that that snow was actually you know hitting us while we're riding and stuff and um you know we we actually got we were okay last night but there's there's been other nights at Turfway I remember being pretty pretty hairy. Well, you know, you um, said you jumped in the car last night, right? At right for the seventh race, so you didn't see race eight, did you? You didn't see the eighth. They they were no. running in snow. It was it was hard to see. The snow came down right about the time you left. Yeah, I I, I heard um. I heard I heard there was two horses that were non-starters, or I think the gates malfunctioned because the starter rang me on the way home to check where I was on the road, and uh, he said that the gates had frozen. Is that what it was? The gate froze. The gate froze, yeah. Wow, because we watched it at home, and it was one one horse was declared a non-starter. I thought maybe just the starter held on to him, but then it did appear the gate didn't open, so I didn't realize that it had frozen. Um, the funny, well, I'm going to call it funny. The unfortunate thing about it is, is, uh, everybody at this point, everybody just wanting to get home, right? Everybody just wanting to get the hell out of there and get home. And then you had the inquiry because the gate didn't open. So it held up that much longer to make the race official and talk to everybody. So it was kind of an unfortunate thing, but, uh, yeah, there was a non-starter, but they coming down the stretch, it, it was pretty snowy. I can imagine what it was like for the riders. Yeah. You mean, <laughs> you know, I rode one day at Aqueduct and, um, I couldn't. That was the, probably the coldest I've ever ridden in. But uh, I couldn't. Op- I couldn't open the reins afterwards. It was that was probably the coldest with the windshield around JFK there. Um, really? Yeah. I mean, it's it's. Um, yeah. It, obviously, we have short post parades and everything like that. And but you know, there's there there is a cutoff point. You know, where it's just enough is enough. Yeah, so was uh, your wife's name is Lauren, correct? I'm gonna talk about Lauren. Lauren's got a little shop uh, I mentioned, but uh, that's her name, correct, Lauren? Lauren, yeah. Was she was she with you last night, or was she just worried about you getting home last night? No, she was at home, and um, she had a busy day. She's been baking all. She does all the bakery stuff for Christmas and stuff. So she's been she's been very busy with that. So. Um, but she's a little anxious for you to get home, I'm no, sure, she, right? She stayed up watching. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, you know, it was, 
it was like I say, it was the worst conditions I'd ever drove in. It was uh, it wasn't much fun to be out there, and you could tell nobody was out there unless they really had to be. The, you know, the roads were, you know, it was just trucks and um, people that were on the road that had to be on the road. Um, did Turfway get any backlash from the riders or anybody from riding, or was uh, they just understand and just did, was there any backlash? I think a few of the horse van drivers were upset because, you know, they they had to get the horses home, and obviously the horses horses come first. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's hard to keep everyone happy. Um, you know, we all knew the weather was coming. Maybe they could have moved it to day racing or earlier post time. I don't see why they couldn't have done that. I mean, the weather the weather we all knew what was coming. Right. Well, I'm just glad you got home safely. I'll be coming back to you in a second, but I gotta. Share the love with these other guys, and let's see if they have any questions for you. I'll take it to CC first. Hey, Declan, when you're riding as well as you are right now, do you do you carry a little more swagger when you walk into the jockey's room? No, 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 no. You just, you know, this game, it can humble you very quick. Uh, you don't ever want to get too high on your perch. Um, you know, you just, I'm just grateful that I'm, I'm doing what I love and my horses are running well for me, and I'm just enjoying, I'm just enjoying riding. It's, uh, you know, things seem to happen without even, you know, gaps come for you. Everything just flows. Uh, you, you know, you're not trying to make things happen. And it it just seems like when, when you get that confidence, it's just like it doesn't matter what price the horses are, they seem to run for you. It's, um, it's a good feeling. Do some of the younger guys do that, though? They they kind of maybe, maybe get on a roll and kind of rub it in on, on some of the, the veterans? Huh. No, I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a pretty okay jocks room. Um, obviously, there's all the guys from Ohio and that there too. So, um, you know, everyone everyone's just trying to make a living, and, and you know, it, it it's winter racing, so like you know, you just have to. Um, everyone's hungry to to win races. So, you like to say earlier, it was it's it is competitive there, so. So those those two races you won last night, I mean, obviously you have to have the horse to win the race, but that I think those victories were a result of your savvy riding, just sticking to the rail. I'm just curious, uh, for a lot of the trainers that you ride for, are they okay with you saving ground, even if, like for instance, in the the pits horse that you rode earlier in the car, that she you, you got walled up and, and really didn't get to fire late. Are, are the trainers okay with a ride like that, saving ground, rather than having to tip out five or six wide around the turn, and then maybe maybe you know losing third or fourth or something like that. Is, how, how how do trainers view those types of trips? Uh, most trainers accept it. I mean, uh, like Helen, you know, it was fine. I've never had a trainer get mad for saving ground. I think it's you know. And and back then the turfway, if you go wide, it looks even worse because you get tipped out so wide. Um, for some reason, it kind of that bend kind of throws you out. So even if you're three wide, it looks like you're five wide or six wide. It, it's you know, I just can't fathom doing it. You know, it just you know you're not, if you, especially if you're not on the best horses. You you have to try and save ground and, and ride a smart race. Like with fair uh, fair game, uh, the the big uh, forty to one shot that you rode last night. I mean, you broke from the twelve hole. What was the what was the plan? I mean, it worked at perfection, but I mean, was it kind of maybe break a a tad bit slower and then then try to 
get to the rail or, or what was your uh, what was your plan walking into the starting gate? Well, Vicky just left it up to me. She said, just ride your race. Um, obviously, I watched all the replays and it's very hard to win from the 12 holes. So for me, you have either if you don't break good, you got to drop in right away and, and save ground, get in, get in a little bit and not be hung five, six wide. Uh, so I broke, I, I just played the break. I said, if I break good, I'll tuck in behind the leaders. If I break, if I break bad, I'll, I'll drop out kind of fifth, six, seven, somewhere like that. But uh, my first goal was to save ground in the first turn. And uh, I got in. I got in a good spot just behind the leaders. And then uh, the pace, to be fair, she she was game because I, I ducked inside then for that gap at the three years pole and, and she came through and she was good to see down the lane. So you, uh, Vicky Oliver likes to use uh, other jockeys during the summer. Uh, do you get a chance to remind her and, and some mm-hmm. of these other trainers that, uh, you know, hey, I'm I'm still going to be around? Well, a lot of it's to do with my agent, Rafael, or um, Julio Espinosa, because he's got Rafael Bejarano, who rides all of Vicky's. Ah, okay. Um, so that's, you know, he's got me riding for Vicky. And, you know, he, he's he's been great for me, Julio, because he's, he's really hustled this meet hard for me. And he's had me on a lot of horses most nights. And, he does a great job, so I'm thankful for that. Okay, Brandon, take it away. Yeah, you know, going back to the the fair game trip, I mean, if you read the comments, uh, you know, from Equibase, you don't see this too often, especially on a 40-to-1 horse. Perfect trip, clear. Unhurried to the far turn with a perfect inside trip. Rouse clear under good handling. So to get those positive comments from these guys that do the charts, I mean, it's, it's really great, so uh, you know. But we'll get off it, you know. It's only one horse. We need you to win on twenty more horses, right? You know, it's like <laughs> goal kicker. You gotta. You're good as your last kick. Exactly. Uh, like I say, this game could knock you down pretty quick. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when you're riding the turfway, you know, I'm always kind of interested in the surface. You know, when you have traffic in front of you, how's the kickback to the horse and, and to you? Does it matter if it's real wet out there or uh, just kind of other conditions, you know, or real dry? Does that does that fabric seem to fly up more in your face or not? No, it's it's um, there's very little. I mean, that's why most jocks when you wear two pairs of goggles, there's no there's no real kickback. Um, when the track's wet, it even rides a little tighter, so there's less kickback. Uh, when when it's when it's cold and it's been like this, it it be fluffed up a bit more, but no, the the surface is perfect, really, and it's riding even better this year. I feel I feel it took maybe a year or two, just or a year or so, to bed in properly. It seems like it's riding very fair. You know, you can win from anywhere. Yeah, so I guess the horse is less distracted with any kind of condition, especially young horses when they take out their, you know, first or second time starters. They're not going to get stuff thrown in their face and distracted like you know the young ones always seem. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a nice experience for a first-time starter. It's uh, it's easier on them, you know, than than it would be going three quarters or five eighths on dirt and getting dirt in your face. And um, you know, it's um, you know, I think it'll get more. I think people will uh, leave more horses here in the winters, and you know, with the money and everything else, uh, it can only go. It can only get stronger and stronger. Yeah, I, I just don't get the. I mean, I get why people go to New Orleans, but sometimes that weather is constantly wet, 
and just not they're very warm. You know, it's not the ideal place sometimes. And then you look at the, the horses that are down there. There's really not that many. You come to Turfway and there's just double the field size average. I mean, every single race is double what Fairgrounds product is. And, uh, I'm, you know, we're a Kentucky horse racing podcast. So obviously, but you know, it speaks for itself. Kentucky is still the number one place to be, but yet you see a lot of folks going south. I guess it's just because of the weather, but I don't know. So I, we're glad that you stayed home. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, every, everywhere has their problems in the winter. Like, I mean, it rains a lot in the fairgrounds, it rains a lot at Oakland, and they've, they've got no turf. So, you know, turfway, turfway serves its purpose. Um, people leave horses there that are, you know, turf horses or horses that didn't get, get to run till late in the year, or, you know, the more backward types. So it's, um, you know, you can, it's a night, you know, in the spring as well, you'll see plenty of trainers start horses there too that will be, um, you know, three year olds that didn't get starts as two. And, you know, it'll, you'll see, you'll see some okay horses come out of turf run. Yeah. And, uh, you know, did you know the podcast is going on the road on next Wednesday, the 28th? Oh. Uh-huh. Two. <laughs> we're two. coming to way, Declan, and, we're, and we see that you've got four mounts. So, in order to win the big jackpot from the Auxiliary Gate podcast, you have to win all four mounts. So, oh, really? <laughs> no problem. Yeah, it's, a, it's an added purse, but it's not the typical purse that you normally run for. So, just know the three of us are going to be present. I'll come Brain out. Is, Brain is putting up the money. I'm no CC yeah. and I out of this. <laughs> well, it's a big deal that I have freedom because I've got a three-month-old at the house, and I never get to come Ooh. out. So, this has been a planned event. To come see you on the 28th, and we're going to have all of our rowdy friends, and we're going to give you all the routing tips you ever want to hear, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, so four mounts, so we'll, we'll, we'll look forward to seeing those horses. Let me, do you know what your mounts are for next Wednesday? Uh, I just have a quick glance. I ride one for Eddie Keneally, um, one for Robert Medina, one for Helen Pitts, and one for Vicky Oliver. So, all winners, uh, all winners. Yeah, they, we can if we can win, if we can win two, two out of four. I'd be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> or, or one. <laughs> I, uh, well, you can go get the consolation prize, but if you bring home another forty to one, and I didn't bet it, then I'm gonna kick myself. <laughs> Hey, I'm uh I'm a glad that uh Mr. Jaggers brought up Vicky Oliver, uh Declan, because part of my horse playing lore, if I have any horse playing lore as I am I am unable to guess whenever Vicky Oliver is gonna win and if I try to bet her, she does the opposite. Is there any did you know this horse is gonna fire last night? And the only reason I'm asking is because I have this thing with Vicky Oliver. I can never pin her down when one of her horses is gonna win. And I try to think contrary to did this horse give you any indication? And if it did, can you tell me in the future when one feels live? Because I'm no good at it. You know, I hadn't ridden a horse before, so all I did was watch the race replays. Um, but, you know, she, Vicky does a good job. You yeah, she does. I just guess uh, wrong all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, you know, she does She does come with some nice ones. Um, like I say, I, I didn't really know much about it other than the form that everyone else was reading. Um, but uh no it's 
And I'm glad she left some more horses here this winter because she normally takes the majority of them to Florida, but um, she's left some better ones here this this winter. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, riding some more for her. Maybe that's the key. Declan Cannon and Vicky Oliver, maybe that's the thing I'm missing. Maybe that's the part of the puzzle. Hey, you've been doing any marathon? I know you've been doing any marathon in the day, but I know you're the – people don't realize you're a pretty talented and fast distance runner, right? Have you been doing any of that lately? Um, no. Well, I've been I've been going to the gym because I have plenty of time on my hands and uh, in the mornings. You know, in the mornings I don't get to – I don't have to work as many horses here, so I get more time to work out. So I'm in, I'm in pretty good shape. I've been doing a lot of running and – and swimming. Uh, I haven't competed since uh, Buff Bradley got me to do the uh, Frankfurt 5K. I remember that. I remember seeing that. How fast did you run that 5K in? Uh, I think I went in 18, 18, 18 minutes. minutes, people. For people oh, don't know, that's that's uh, that's, that's under that's six under a six minute mile. What is that? Yeah, yeah six and change. Yeah, six and change. Is that right, Declan? Yeah. What's what's official time? Uh, per minute yeah, mile? it was. It was first mile was five fifty five, but then I, I slowed down to six something. There was some serious runners in that. I finished fifth overall, but uh, there was um, there was some college athlete run. Like there was, I knew I was lining up with some serious guys. But, yeah. Well, you're well. How tall are you? Five two. Five two. You're five two, and you did you were doing six minute miles because you know you, the strides on as long as that is incredible. That is that is flat out incredible. Uh, how old are you? Uh, Thirty five. My gosh. So my gosh. I'm no spring chicken either. <laughs> no spring chicken, but I'm just saying for people that don't understand how that works. Six minutes, Brandon. That's fine, isn't it? That is absolutely yeah. Fine. The fastest yeah. I've ever done it was like twenty one. I mean, <laughs> three minutes is a big difference. Yeah, three minutes is a big difference in a five k and stuff. But uh, yeah, you like the, you like. Yeah, the I wish. Um, I wish I had done a little bit more speed training going into it, but Buff kind of got me to do it the week off, and he said, you'll be fine, and we were at Keeneland, and he was like, just run it after the race, and as we get done at Keeneland, and head over to Frankfurt, and Lee, the outrider, did it, and um, there was a few of us there, and um, it was it was good fun, we went for a beer after, it was, it was a good event, Buff's been doing that for over 30, 40 years, but we didn't, I, I, I didn't know the the course it runs uphill towards yes the, it was an uphill 5k which wasn't much fun. you know you went around the back of the capital and, and down yeah so um i don't know if i'll do it every year six minutes uphill brandon that's 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 impressive as hell uh i'm old and fat i'm in that 10 minute a mile thing now that's even if my knees are working half the time um lauren tell about lauren's bakery real quick lauren i've i, I followed on facebook lauren your wife has this bakery. She makes some amazing stuff, uh, yeah. like the artsy kind of cakes and stuff, right? Yeah, it started a lot with kids' cakes, and now um, she does brownies. Viennese swirls have all sold out. A lot of it um, has an English twist to it with the recipes, which is pretty popular. And um, But she goes through a lot of butter and a lot of, I mean, <laughs> I, I had to get out of her freezer in the garage. and Like, it's, uh, it's crazy, but... Uh, yeah, it, it started as a hobby, and, and now she's um, it's gotten really busy. So I'm happy for her. It keeps um, you know, it's uh, it's it's nice to see that uh, it's appreciated. Like uh, I, I bring stuff into some of the barns when we win, win races, and they, 
they're like, wow, these brownies are incredible. Yeah, Brandon, CC, if you don't know, it's Lauren Bakes. I think she's on Facebook. It, the stuff looks amazing. And I wonder, how does a jockey marry to a baker? How does that work out? Uh, you say you don't struggle with your weight. And you, do you eat that stuff? I do, yeah. When, I, when I'm going to work in the mornings with a coffee, I'm always grabbing a brownie or something. There's, there's always something left over. Well, you must, must be nice to have that kind of metabolism. Uh, one last thing. What's, what do you, uh, what's, what's Declan Santa to bring in for Christmas? I'm not sure. Um, new pair of trainers. I got a hole in the ones I got currently. So hopefully, hopefully Santa picked up on that hint. No, um, well, <laughs> hopefully Lauren is listening is what you're saying basically <laughs> um yeah but we're uh we're having a bunch of people around Lauren, Lauren loves cooking so uh, we 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 invite people that you know are from don't have anywhere to go so we're having 10 or 12 rounds so we're gonna have a, a nice Christmas do people have anywhere to go I mean you have friends of yours are just on their own or what what is yeah that? just just People from people that are on their own are um, just uh, you know I know a few people from overseas and stuff so it's good to get everyone together. Well, I think that's amazing and stuff. It really is, Declan. Uh, as always, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I uh, wish you continued success. We are going to come see you Wednesday. Hopefully, we'll come see you in the winter circle. But uh, apparently, we got to come see you four times. So anyway, but uh, continued <laughs> success, brother. We wish you Merry Christmas, and uh, let's hope we all thaw out and we'll get outside here in the near future, okay? Absolutely. Stay warm. Thanks for having me on, guys. You got it, Declan. Okay, that was Declan Cannon, who is on fire at Turfway Park and looking forward to uh, to gambling on more of his mounts in the coming weeks. Uh, I think he's uh, he understands what it takes to win at Turfway Park, and that's uh, that's that, that goes a long way. It does, and uh, first, first off, Declan's such a nice guy, uh, incredibly humble. He's got the cool last name Cannon too. Seems like he can market that stuff, right? With a name like Cannon, Irish Cannon, there's got to be something. I mean, I wish my last name was Cannon. Uh, but we, uh, as, as Brandon mentioned, uh, look forward to seeing him on Wednesday. As we're gonna make our first, this will be our first collective trip to the new uh, Turfway, right? Um, Again, with work and stuff, I haven't been able to get there yet. I'll get up there again this meet, but we are going to go Wednesday. So hopefully see Declan and some other folks up there. Bull Butter will be there. Really? Good yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, but, uh, he called me at 1230 two nights ago okay. and couldn't sleep. And I really don't like talking to men while I'm in bed at night, but on the phone. But that, that, Who are you that kidding? Happened. Whatever, don't listen to him, folks. He ain't fooling nobody. Oh, yeah, Bullbutter, he, he, he drives a tour bus now. Oh, he does? He drives, not a, or no, what do you call it? Like, a, he, 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 he totes a band cross country. Like, I yep. forgot the name of the band that he's, he's a a charter tour bus. Yeah, he's, he's driving a, a, yeah, a charter bus or a tour bus. He's hauling his band. He's starting in Le- uh, Los Angeles. Uh, at the first or second week of January, he's going to be gone 35 days, and they're going to do 28 concerts. Anybody so, have heard of Metallica? U2? No. Springsteen? Son of, Swift? son of a Bitch. hell of a son. That's it. Hell of a son. You ever heard of them? Uh, my dad used to have one. Hell of a son. Oh, you're talking about Yeah. No, go ahead. I don't know the band. Anyway, well, Bull Butter will be joining us. Brandon will be there. A lot of celebrities. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Well, it's going to be one of those nights. Right. So join us at Turfway Wednesday night. Okay. So now is the the part of the show where we air our grievances. I believe this was made famous in on Seinfeld, which is a show I didn't really watch a whole lot growing up. But I mean, I'm aware of it. I know I'm aware of Festivus and the, the airing of grievances and whatnot. So isn't today Festivus? Today is the twenty third. Isn't today Festivus? I think today, I today is Festivus, and we're going to we're going to air out our dirty laundry, and then later on we'll have the feats of strength. I'll lose that. Yeah, I've, I've yet to win one, but anyway, so I'm going to lead off, and there's a lot of stuff we can talk about in this game. There's a lot of stuff. So we're going to, I'm going to pare it down. Uh, for me, I'm going to talk about Gary and Mary West and Heisa and Brandon. And then we'll, have, we'll, we'll alternate, but I'll, I'll go first. I want to read this statement that Gary, I assume this is correct and honest. This is coming from a Gary and Mary West. As we all know, Jason Service uh, was convicted of whatever he was doing, horse, uh, race fixing and whatnot. And uh, they released a statement, allegedly, and I'll read this, uh, quote, We believe in the justice system and have patiently waited for the legal prosecution to take its course. Now that Jason Service has entered a guilty plea, we want to make it clear that if the Saudi Cup decides to redistribute the purse, we would support that decision. Hopefully, that action will prevent further conduct of this nature. We believe the, the I can't read that. We are they. We hope they decide to redistribute the purse. If they if they do decide to redistribute the purse, we would support that decision. Hopefully, that action will prevent future conduct of this nature. We believe the decision to take the Saudi Cup purse from maximum security and redistribute it is the correct one. There will be no further statements or comments. Okay, Gary. All Gary, right, Gary West. So they admit that Jason Service was cheating. And they are, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the, the people in charge of the Saudi Cup has withheld the purse money from maximum okay. security, which is about $12 million. Okay. Uh, and they're waiting, basically waiting for this, uh, the, the outcome of this uh, service trial. And so, I mean, we kind of guessed that uh, service has really doped this horse up over the over the. Two years of his career, or three. He's a bastard. Yeah, that's what it's called. He's a bastard. Yeah. So, I think it's hypocritical on Gary and Mary West's part to acknowledge that uh, you know service cheated in the Saudi Cup. What they did not mention is that uh, Maximum Security won a couple races during his three-year-old year, particularly the Florida Derby and the Haskell Invitational. That service was training the horse. And they did not mention anything about redistributing those purses or giving up the trophies. Good point. Fair point, so, yes. Uh, like, uh, and it, it's kind of sad that this will, this will not be revisited by any of those racing commissions, to my knowledge. Like those results stand when we know that, uh, certainly they've got service on wiretaps admitting that he gave this, what was the SGF 1000? He gave this to all of his horses. Every, you know, every start. And, yeah, I, I just think it's it's hypocritical on their part yeah. to so basically, uh, acknowledge that they're not going to get that money. They were never going to get that money, that $12 million. They were never going to get it. 
But they, they've cashed those checks from the Florida Derby. That's a million dollar race, the Florida Derby. And the Haskell Invitational, another million dollar race. That's roughly $1.2 million in purse earnings that, uh, they're, they don't intend on returning. And I think that's sad. I, I, of I course. Get critical. So, so what you're saying is rich people do some wrong things. Everybody knows it and they all take care of each other and they don't actually pay any real price, right? Because that's just what, that's what we all know that they break the rules. They're all, they all watch out for each other, kind of like politics. We all know what goes on there, but you know, it's, so it's just saying we should not be surprised that that happens, correct? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a microcosm. I hear a lot of people in, in horse racing complain about things in horse racing and I'm like, yeah, that's not cool, but if you're going to take that stance in the small bubble of horse racing, why don't you take that same consistent approach overall? Because what goes on in the world, right, is a micro, it's, it's, it's a bigger faction of what goes on in horse racing. If you're going to play about the stuff that goes on horse racing, then stay consistent and then complain about the other things worldwide, right? And I mean, we could go on. That's why I don't pay attention to a lot of the horse racing stuff because, man, there's, there's a lot of bigger issues out there. And I think you're, what you're brought up right there is, is kind of a microcosm of that overall. So, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, if I'm the, the connections of uh, Bodie Express, who finished second in the uh, in the uh, Florida Derby, you know, Bodie Express would be a two-time grade one winner. Now, he, he came to, mm-hmm. oh, was it uh, 2020, the COVID year, and he won the Clark, which was a great one. And, he, he you know, if 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 they pursue that, and we all know uh, that service likely cheated in that race. I mean, they could disqualify maximum security, and Bodie Express would be a two-time grade one winner. That would look good on his stallion resume. Yeah, it hurts a lot and, of people, right? It hurts, yeah. it hurts the breeder as well, too, correct? It hurts the breeder, right. helps, yeah. helps the farm. So, yeah, yeah. good points. All right. all right, so we're off on the wrong foot. I'm already, <laughs> I'm already sore. All right, well, you know, my stuff is either silly or, or, or just – not overly, um, I don't know. We'll find out here in a second. Just little ticky tack things with me because I, I generally say pretty positive, but there's things that get to you know, get to me. It's like I hear people bitch about uh, there's too many horse racing podcasts. Yeah, you know what? You're right. So what? Uh, I think there's too many people out there who post winning caveman tickets on Twitter that don't give the full context of all the losing caveman tickets they had. And I know you're going to be bitching about that, right? So, I mean, if people want to do the podcast, not just the fact that we have them, let them do what they want or whatever, right? So, um, you know, well, there's, that's, there's, there's too many restaurants. There's too many streaming services. There's yeah, too many, you know, let them weed themselves out. And if you don't want to listen, you yeah, don't have to listen. Don't listen to whatever. And I'm sure there's some that are better than others. Jason Beam is fantastic. I'm an avid listener. Uh, if you don't, you don't want to listen, I don't want to see your stupid tweet all the time, but you know, that's all I got to do is just scroll right past it or whatever. So. And that's not just because we have one. We just we just knock this stuff out. But, you know, anything that provides information to people, and it goes back to, like, you know, there's this horse racing Twitter thing that thinks it's it, it's bigger than it is. It's a, it's a small bubble. It's a small, small percentage of, of the actual industry as a whole or whatever. So, you know, we, we've discovered that there's a lot of people that listen that are not just the Twitterati. Nothing against the Twitterati. We love to have everybody listen or whatever. But, uh, okay, so there's a horse racing podcast. Great. That's good. People are enjoying themselves, right? Anyway, that's a quick one. Okay, so back to me. I, I wanted to talk about uh, a race coming up. It's the Malibu Stakes on Monday, Santa Anita. Going to be a very interesting test. Uh, the return of Taba, who finished uh, third 
in the Breeders' Cup Classic behind Flightline. He's probably going to be the top horse in the older division going forward. But that's not the horse I want to talk about. There is another horse in there from the Baffert barn named Messier. And Messier comes off of a terrible, terrible last place finish at Keeneland on Breeders' Cup weekend where he bled. And I, the way I understand it, he bred, bled pretty severely. So the that weekend, I think Lasix was not allowed in, in any of the races on Breeders' Cup weekend, even the allowance races and the, and the, the minor stakes races. So Messier comes back Monday, and this is my problem with the ban on Lasix. Mm-hmm. Is from a horse player's perspective, what do you do with Messier? Messier did not race on Lasix, and he bled terribly last time. Now he's coming back in less than two months to race again, and he's probably going to be somewhere around five to two, three to one possibly. Only one person, well, only a handful of people know what actually happened to Messier, and that's the trainer assistant trainer and the vet probably maybe the owners they're the only one they've got inside information on this horse this is this goes back to when uh, serengeti empress won the kentucky oaks uh prior to that he she bled profusely at uh at uh fairgrounds oaks maybe or something like that and to to tom amos's credit he came out and said after the races that she bled but we're going to go on to the oaks had he not said that she bled, Serengeti Empress, I think she went off like 23 to 1, 24 to 1. She would have gone off 50 to 1 probably in mm-hmm. the Oaks. So we'll give Amos credit for that. And we'll give, you know, Baffert's barn credit for stating that Messier bled. Right. As horse players, what are we going to do? What What do we do in situations like this? First, pass. You, pass. Go ahead. You, go ahead. You have to pass the race. If you're going to play, I mean, I think Tate was going to win. Don't get me wrong. Tabor's going to win the race, but there's no Lasix allowed in these stakes races. So does, do we, do we roll the dice at five to two? The Messier's, I mean, Messier's a really nice horse. Don't get me. He is a really fast horse on his day. Now his last two races are awful. So it might be reflected in his price. And you know, you if you got five or six to one on it, maybe it's worth the play, but I, this ban on Lasix, I think most of the horse people, the horsemen are against it. Now the breeders are for it. The, the top end breeders, they, 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 for some reason, are against Lasix. But I, the, the more podcasts I've done, I think I'm, I'm pro Lasix. I'm, I'm, I think it's a, it's a good thing for, it's a humane thing to run a horse on Lasix, in my opinion. And, you know, and, and we're going to see it on Monday. If Messier bleeds again. That's, that's not good. That's not a good right. thing for the sports, not a good thing for the horse. And it's not a good thing for the horse players. So, all right, off of my, <laughs> off of my soapbox for now. Okay. Back to you. Well, well, this will move me up one that I was going to do that it touches on what you're saying to some extent, but it's a bit of a different approach or whatever. And like I said, mine aren't really against the horse racing industry or whatever. Mine, I, maybe it's more of a horse player thing or whatever. I, uh, and it kind of touches on what you said. I hear all these, there's almost like, almost a cliche out there. I don't, I hate to use the word cliche, but it's that tracks don't listen to horse players. And you know what? I'm, I shouldn't say cliche because that's true. I will agree that they probably do not, that they don't. But in fairness, it, and when horse players get upset that the racetracks don't treat them right, the game doesn't treat them right, the horse players deserve some of the responsibility with that. I'm sorry, this is, may not be a popular statement that, it, that I have to adopt the same narrative that everybody else adopts. I don't do that in generally speaking. I don't play these games. 
if if there's things that you don't like, I hear horse players that, that racetracks don't take care of horse players. They don't think of the horse players. Well, if there's something a racetrack is doing, it's pretty simple. I, I, I get so tired of seeing that. If there's something a racetrack is doing, don't bet the racetrack. You you have the ultimate power, correct? But do you have the discipline? You have the power. Do you have the discipline? If a racetrack is uh, scratching scratching horses and screwing your, late too late and screwing up your pick four, pick five sequence, if if you feel like medication problems are a big deal, if you feel like stewards made wrong decisions, well, guess what? Then you and you bitch about it and you bitch about it. Then you make the decision to not bet the racetrack. They don't care if you bitch and. I don't blame them if they don't, they don't anyway, because until you stop betting something, if do you have the discipline, do you have the wherewithal to not play that anymore? If you don't do it, whatever your complaints are, legitimate as they may be, they will listen. You're the customer, just like in any other business or whatever. But it's, it's, it's a deal where it's like we brag. You see people brag about being degenerates, which for the life of me, I'll never understand that. So if I'm a racetrack owner or somebody in the game, and somebody's bragging, and I know they're going to come back no matter what. Why would I improve anything? Why Why would I? It's like a drug dealer. It's like if I know I've got you hooked and you're going to come back no matter what I do, but why would I improve my product? That's something I'll never really understand. Um, I hear people bitch about parks all the time, but as soon as there's a big carryover, as soon as the Pennsylvania Derby's rolling around, they're still betting the same track they bitched about three weeks uh, earlier and stuff. Um, and that could go on and on. You kind of get my point, right? It's like, as the horse player, you have the power to change things. It's simply just don't spend your money. Uh, so do you do you see what I'm saying? Like you asked with, with a, ta- a table, what are we going to do about that? Well, just don't bet the race. And then maybe if, and once it hits people in the bottom line, which is all at the end of the day, it's all really matters and stuff, then that's how you get um, change. But complaining about it and then going back and betting double the money you're anyway, why would any why would anyone in the right mind actually listen then, right? Uh, I mean, I know when people won't like hearing that, I, I don't really care. But when there's things that I don't like, I don't even make a big deal about it. I just don't play it. You know what I mean? I will push back a little bit on this. Because I understand I, that. I think you know, we all know now that the racetracks have, have pitted everything against it. They pitted all the odds. That, you know, we're up against it because now the racetracks own these computer robotic wagering teams probably 20 to 25 percent of the handle now maybe more at some tracks especially Gulfstream. and virtually every track now has a uh has the uh, hhr machines the historic horse racing machines or slot machines or some type of welfare or subsidies that go into purses so now they they don't need us they don't need horse players like they used to and I think I think all horse players now kind of realize this, and that, that, that our only option is to go on Twitter and complain about this. Because I mean, I think a lot of people fear that it, you know you stop horse, you just give up on the sport or whatever. Give you know it's going to go away eventually. That, I, I think most of us believe that the uh, the main entities that control horse racing now want it to go away. Right. If you, if you can imagine that, they just want they want the slot welfare. And we'll we'll operate slots, and then in the meantime we'll uh, we'll make horse racing uh, uh, unviable as a product, and you know, and then we'll live ha- happily ever after. I think that's what a lot of horse players are, are fearful of. Agreed. But you know what? If it moved if it moved on, 
it, but maybe it's time to move on then. If that's the case, and maybe it's time, it is time to move on. Like if this, if this ended tomorrow, I'd be fine. I, it's not that big. the only part that I would care about is that the the friends that I have in the game, the trainers, the owners, uh, the jockeys, the friends that I have, I would feel bad for them because they need to make a living. If this ended today and I never got to place another bet, it wouldn't bother me not one iota. Uh, there's other things, but uh, I so I get your point on that. But I just so I guess maybe it is hard to just simply say not bet, but at the end of the day, I mean that is that is your bullet that you have in your in in the chamber, right? So that's kind of what I meant about that. You're up. Here's a tweet from Victoria Keith. I think she works for uh, Rick Porter's farm, uh, Fox Hill Farm. Right. And she's into horse welfare and whatnot. She she tweeted this. This has been a long time ago, December seventh. There have been 538 rulings from Heiza thus far, outside of about five equipment rulings and one shockwave ruling. All the rest were for crop violations. So wow. in 538 rulings, basically one of them was important for the safety and welfare of the horse. And here's my problem with Heiza. That we've got a, this is something where the industry failed and now government is going to come in and take over governing whatever they're going to govern in this sport. And as you know, anytime government sticks their hand in anything, it usually <laughs> it's going to cost us a lot. Of, it's going to cost somebody a career. It's going to cost somebody a fortune. Or it's just, you know, it's going to erode whatever financial uh, gain that anybody can, can reap from the sport. The, the fact that they're going to govern this, and it's going to happen one day, in a Kentucky Derby or a Preakness or a Breeders' Cup race, uh, maybe a foreign jockey or somebody that's not familiar with the rules or somebody just loses their cool, they're going to strike a horse 10 or 11 times yeah. in a race when the, the I don't even know what the limit is. Is it six or 10? I don't know. I, I think if it's, you can, you, you, you have six strikes on a horse and if you go over maybe one or two, three or four, you get fined. If you go over 10, the horse, Gets disqualified or something like that. It's something in that ballpark. It's hard to keep track. So yes, one day, you know, a horse is going to start bearing out in a, in a major race and, and the rider's going to, you know, start striking the horse right handed with the crop and, and the horse is going to get taken down, you know, two weeks later or whatever or in a court. And then that's where we're going to be. And when it's all about safety of the horse, what about safety of the jockey? Yes, without question. Without yeah, question. I mean, if you're trying to drive a horse through a hole and the hole's getting ready to close and you got to whip whip the horse to get him to respond, and you can't whip that horse. That you know he doesn't respond fast enough, and you clip heels behind the horse that's closing in on you. You know that's that's uh, that's we're not looking out for our jockeys. And I I I don't know where they get this arbitrary number that you know six six strikes on a horse is too many. I mean what. What about twelve strikes? Why? Why is that not too many? Or why is it three? Or why is it zero? You know what? What's what's the deal? So I, I that that bothers me. Now we're going to enter in the Haza age. I assume that's coming up soon next week or whatever. And that's yeah. that's frightening to me because you got a bunch of people that don't understand horse racing making the rules. Well, you know, you talk about arbitrary. We we came up with six, people say six feet apart. That was a completely arbitrary number, but people seem to follow it like robots, right? So right. I get your point. Yeah, and they did, and people still defend that, and it's like it's indefensible. But uh, we got to watch what tangents we go off here, right? <laughs> well, I, I would I agree with you know like Victor Espinosa in American Pharaohs Derby. 
he hit American Pharaoh a lot, like 25 times from the three-eighth pole to the wire. That's that's probably excessive. Oh, yeah. That's excessive. Now, there, there is a race. You cannot find it. I remember this like it was yesterday. You can you cannot find it on YouTube or anywhere. I can't even find hardly a mention of it. Mike Smith wrote Chief Honcho in, I think it was the 1990 Jim Dandy Stakes. And there was a four-horse race, and Chief Honcho was last. And Mike Smith tipped to the outside, and he walloped. He turned sideways on the horse and walloped that horse 35 times at least. God. From the top of the stretch to the wire. And I'm, he turned sideways and just started whopping his horse. And the horse got out to win. But you cannot find that replay anywhere. Buried, huh? Yeah. Buried. That is excessive. Yes. That is excessive. Well, then jockeys need to be part of that process. Then the jockey needs to be part of the process because it is at the end of the day, it's in addition to the horse's safety, it's their safety as well too. They should have a, they should have one hell of a say so on that, right? I, I'm 100% against cruelty to animals. Yes. Cruelty to horses. But you cannot tell me when you strike a horse eight or nine times on his flank, horses and cattle and, and, Animals like that, they are so resilient. I mean, you can leave them out in this this type of weather we're having right now. Yeah. You come back the next morning and they're fine, you know, but they, they are so resilient to, to stuff like that. And, and these, these crops don't, they don't have the, the effect that they used to, you know, I, I, they're, they're more, I guess they're more poppers. They make a sound mm. and, and, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very wary of this, this high stuff and I'm worried that, you know, the the smaller guys again is going to get squeezed out when when they give a, the equivalent of an aspirin to a horse and the horse tests positive and then you know that there that there's a there's a small trainer's going to get drummed out of the game for actually trying to help the horse right so I got right. one more I got one more we'll, but we'll leave it, leave it to you okay I got a couple more but I'll try to keep them brief a uh, couple of, one one's about me. Uh, we had Sarah Hamilton on this pro- on this podcast like a year ago, who is just a great up and coming trainer. To think the world of her. She gave us three horses, and now I know you know what I'm. She gave us a Golden Eye, she gave us Crackalackin, and she gave us Lilies for Millie. They all won their next start out at forty to one, seventeen to one, and thirty two to one. And somehow I'm still working at a fucking auto plant. <laughs> right. I guess, you know what I mean. So uh, yeah, she. I mean, when Sarah talks. You should listen. We we did listen to some extent, but I think one day I actually didn't know what one of the horses was running. But uh, yeah, uh, that's that's mad at me for not capitalizing on pure gold on a, a pot of gold at the end. But uh, that's actually a testament to Sarah's knowledge as a horsewoman more than anything else. I had uh, crack lacking in something, but I spread to get it. Maybe I did that crack like I can't remember, I, but I, I did not know gold and I was running pick four or something like that. Where? Yeah, but, but I but I freely admit I used five or six horses in there, so it, it's still my fault. And I'll go ahead and throw another one in real quick. In addition to that, since before I kick it back to you, that I'm forgetting how to bet turf racing. Some would argue that I never had a bet in the first place, but I I'm forgetting. Is that the green stuff that sits in the center of the of the place when you go to the racetrack? Is that what that is? I'm forgetting how to bet it. Does anybody have turf racing? It, it seems like, I mean, I'm not going to go on about all that, but you know what I mean? It's like, oh, a turf race. It's like, oh. Boy, it would be nice if they could build just a standalone turf course, like a big giant mile and a half, like a European-style turf course. Not not even like Kentucky Downs, like sweeping turns and straightaways where you can run mm-hmm. seven for long races straightaway. And that would be, I think that would be just so popular. 
anyone going to make that investment these days? But, you know, again, it comes back to – and I'm always going to come back to – I'm a horse – playing the horses of the one- or two-day-a-week hobby for me, right? That's – at the end of the day, I don't – my uh, yearns don't mean anything, but people who, who make a living off this, right, who actually want those – need those horses to run on turf. So, you know, I'll, I'll always put that first, whatever. But uh, at the end of the day, it's like I, I miss it. I'm forgetting how to bet it. So maybe – but I'm sure that's going to change in time. So I got one more. Okay. Uh, our boy Brandon. Now he, <laughs> I, I can tell this, and he's not gonna he's not gonna listen to the podcast. So even I though tell, he was on it earlier, even though he was on it earlier, there's no chance he's gonna listen to this. So let's let's rewind back to was it February, January, February of this year, and you and I got a text from him uh, late in the day, probably four thirty, five o'clock. He says such and such. We'll call him Mr. X. Mr. X is alive in the Rainbow Six to like one, <laughs> two, three, four, five, and six. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I got my phone out, looked it up, and like, well, shit, the three horses, one million dollars. That's the payoff on the pick six. And uh, I didn't think anything of it. The horse probably not win anyway. So I watched the race, and the three horse goes wire to wire. I checked my phone again. It's like that's a million dollars. And uh I text him back through our text chain. He's like, oh, OMG, OMG. I can't believe it. So I've got Mr. X's number on my phone. <laughs> and I text him, congratulations. Well, I don't hear anything back for hours. It comes back, who is this? And I, uh, then, so it, it, somewhere in between there, Brandon says, oh, he didn't hit it. Like, well, but wait a minute, Brandon. You said he was alive to the one, two, three, four, five, and six. So he lied to you or you lied to us. Hmm. Hmm. I said, Brandon, you're a freaking liar. And so, uh, Brandon calls me the next, the next morning. I think I, I got into his ass a little bit. He got, he got a little, uh, he felt a little guilty. He said, Uh-oh. yeah, man, Mr. X did hit that. He told me not to tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, I do remember that. I do remember that. And a million dollars hard to lose. He said, "Man, forget that." He said, "Man, I told Sarah. Man, I had to lie to him. I had to lie to him. I felt awful." Oh my god. Sorry, Brandon. So yeah, Brandon knows who won the million dollar Rainbow Six. And then the article came out uh, in the Daily Racing Forum a few days later, explaining how the guy hit that. I thought that was pretty funny. So I, I should. We should just say we're going to. Get rid of this. I am not Mr. X, for the record. There, no, there is. I couldn't have had that in a million years. I don't. Could remember, not have I don't remember it. Million years that won that won, and then I had the five races leading up to it. I mean, it. The guy did play a thousand dollar ticket, which is nine hundred and fifty dollars over my budget. <laughs> it's impressive, though. It is impressive. Yeah. All right, me. Do you have anything else, or I'll just, do you run through a couple real quick, or did you? Uh, that's it for me. Okay. Finishes off. Uh, I don't want to spend, spend too long with this. Let me see. Uh, Tony Kalo. Tony Kalo at Turfway Park. Uh, he just filled in at Turfway. Those don't know. Uh, Jimmy McNerney's had some sort of medical thing going on. Tony Kalo come in from Finger Lakes. I was unaware of him because I don't know much about Finger Lakes. Um, he was excellent. I guess my grievance is how does he not have a job at a larger racetrack than just nothing against Finger Lakes. I'm sure it's fantastic. He may be very happy there, but that guy's really good. And my agreement he, is how come he's not getting a, a job at a better, bigger track. 
he's a throwback to the old days, I think. You yeah. listen to those guys back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, like uh, yes. Harry Henson, uh, those guys. Like, if you're listening to Harry Henson at Long Longshot, or not Longshot, Long, Long Acres. Longshot. Longshot. Long Acres in Washington State. And that, that, he had that gravelly voice. And, you know, that's, I like those, those old timey racetrack announcers. And I think he kind of fits that bill. I, I love the, the stretch call of the one race. Uh, the horse got up to pass another horse late and he said, Rainbow gives you wings. <laughs> it's a combination that. of being fun and being a throwback and being descriptive and, and plus had that old time feel to it and stuff too, while still being fairly modern. But I think we all, I think most people would agree that, uh, he's destined for bigger things. If he chooses, he may be completely happy up there. So, uh, I mean, it's I, quite as cold up there as it is right here right now. So I think that is one of the most important jobs at the racetrack. I don't care what anybody says. I think that a racetrack announcer sets the atmosphere for, I mean, I think a lot of people don't like Mike Pataglia, but I think when I, I was like racetrack in the late eighties for the first time and he was calling the races, he made the races exciting. You know, I, I, I was a big fan of his. Now, obviously, when he got older, he, you know, he, the, the luster kind of left a little bit, but I, 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 he was always one of my favorites. Cause I, like my dad used to say, he, he calls the races like he cares about them. He yeah. cares, wins, you know. I like that. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, horses aren't rats. I'm, I don't like when people call horses rats. Uh, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, having a consistency of beliefs, right? Uh, be consistent in your in in your outlook. Be consistent in your beliefs. If you're going on um one week about horse welfare is important and we got to take care of the horses, and I completely agree with you. But if you want to be completely non disingenuous, then don't go the next week and say the horse that you bet that ran six on your 64th bet of the day is a rat. All of a sudden, then you just kind of negated your actual feelings or whatever. That is just a, a gambling option for you. So the horses are rats thing. Not a fan of that. Uh, they deserve the respect. I mean, they're living, breathing uh, things, and uh, not a big fan of that. What else I got here? Uh, show wagering. Why do we call show wagering show wagering? You ever think of that? Why do you call it show wagering? I have no idea. I mean, if you come in third in a spelling bee, do they call that that you hit the show spot? I mean, I never really understood. Who, who? I just wonder who came up with that. Do you know? No, I don't. We've, it's just been ingrained in our memory. Uh, and I guess one last thing is something that always does irk me. And this is a not a tout thing. This is a uh, TV analyst thing. As you know, I'm a little bit hard on those. We're fortunate right here. We have really good ones around here. So it's not a problem here in Kentucky. But when you see these analysts and they'll give you their generic, and they are generic, uh, multi-race tickets, and they'll tell you to go six or seven deep in a leg, for instance, and they've used all the logicals. And then they say, and this burns my ass. They say, well, I'm hoping for a price here. I'm hoping for, I've, I've mentioned this before. And they say, well, I'm just hoping to get a price here. You stated, your stated intent is that you wanted to get a price. So tell me why you advised your viewers, your listeners to go seven deep. Why didn't you just play the price? Your stated intent is that you were hoping to get a price. Play your stated intent. Of course, we're all hoping to get prices, right? The bigger the price, the better. But you're advising people how to play these tickets, and you're saying that you're hoping to get a price. Well, then you tell those people that you just play the – instead of playing two-to-one, three-to-one, 
four to five, four to one, five to one, and then two twelve to one shots, and just bet the two twelve to one shots. Tell your people that you're advising to play this game to just play the two twelve to one shot. Your stated intent is hoping to get a price, then just bet the price. Either A, they'll can they will invest less money, let's say on a fifty cent base bet, or B, they can bet that price at a higher ticket. Now I get the overall now the way anybody plays their tickets is completely fine by me. And if someone wants to go seven deep and do that, that's fine. But they're also not advising the, the wagering public to do that. So when you say that you're hoping to get a price, then just bet the price. I mean, that's that's something that irks me. When, when you hear a TV analyst say that, and I can think of one network that used to, I don't watch that network, but this network did that repeatedly, and it would burn my ass. Uh, then you're doing, then you should be, you should be walked out of your job immediately. That's just me. Is that a it's- hard one? Did you get you get my point. Damn, we've gone thirty five minutes. Thirty five minutes of bitching. Can yeah, and look? I wait for the end for the good one. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just the way I feel. I, th- I think it's uh, malfeasance. Don't you think that a lot of it is the the culture of horse racing is that we don't we none of us ever grew up with successful gamblers. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I I, I know I didn't. I mean, I, well, I, I've been around people that love racing, but I don't have a lot of people that are really good gamblers like there are people out there that will teach you i mean they're they're trying to teach people and stuff my one one thing that i actually have an issue with a lot of the times you hear that is we have this mentality these days there's i mean it's because you were talking about the the older way that people used to bet the older people didn't have super effectives and pick fives and pick fours and all this other stuff it was win play show exact and that was that's its own that's its own thing one, I guess to, to, to piggyback all that, when people talk about bad favorites, bad favorites, bad favorites, I'm completely against bad favorites. I, that's one of the, I, that's one thing I actually think I'm pretty good about is finding horses that are over bet and this and that. What I do, what I do have a problem with is they never talk about bad second choices and bad third choices. And I think that's a microcosm of how all anybody thinks about anymore is betting horizontally. So you automatically look for the bad favorite in the horizontal wager. But if you – and I get that because lots of the takeout is lower on horizontal wagers. So it is – and you can make the argument that it's better to play that. But when you can identify a bad second choice and a bad third choice, because there's lots of them, then betting vertically is a great way to bet. And unfortunately, the takeout may not allow you to do that. The super effective rate at some tracks is ridiculous. Uh but I do wish sometimes when people are advising people on how to bet, they would talk about bad second choices and bad third choices too. Cause you can still have very lucrative payoffs. Just anytime you can kick horses out and feel confident, you're increasing your chances mathematically. And that actually adds up a lot of the times to the vertical wagers and stuff. So that's just, I just wish more people would talk about bad second choices and bad third choices. But uh, yeah, the thing about uh, just hoping for a price, when I hear a TV analyst say that after they've went seven deep, it just, it, it, it grinds my gears. As a stamp family guy. <laughs> but I'm done now. Yeah, anything you want to add? No, I don't want to add anything else. I've got one horse in, on Wednesday that I'm going to play. Uh, looking at the overnight right now. This is my first trip horse of the Turfway meet. And okay. Probably going to be a favorite, though. Uh, race six, Wednesday night. Uh, well, I can't pronounce this. Karen D. Karen Denha Leka. From the Powell Beautiful. Barn. That's one of those Brownwood Farm mm-hmm. runners that uh, probably was bred in Argentina. I can't remember. But she ran in the stake yes. not too long ago. Uh, she got, she was, looked like she was winding up to make a move. And she checked. 
and dove toward the rail and finished up all right. And uh, by the by the time you you compose yourself at the top of the stretch of turfway, the race is nearly over. It feels like. And I think she finished okay, and she's dropping in class into a, an optional claimer allowance. And I got a feeling, though, she I was hoping for a bigger field than this. There's only seven in the race. New Rue is in there for Drury. But uh, I'm sure she'll be somewhere between two to one, three to one. But that's uh, that was a Philly. That's my first trip play of the meet coming back. And I got one Thursday, too, but I don't even know. Write it down. Write it down, everybody. Hattie M. I haven't looked. My trip note that she ran opening night at Turfway dropped far back, finished okay, looked like a training run in the right spot. Those are the type of races I kind of I want to see a horse that just they they just drop back to last and jockey doesn't try to encourage them and then re rallies or rallies late and just you know finishes one one run. I don't even know who trains that horse though. So, but uh, yeah, Wednesday night bet the Lobo in race. What I say? Six? Always a good plan to bet the Lobos at Turf anyway, right? Los Lobos. Los Lobos. Great man. Yeah. Uh, uh, Don't Let Go, our horse for Brilliant Racing, Joe Kristek, runs it uh, Monday uh, at Fairgrounds. Wish, wish those guys the best of luck. You know, good yep. to see that one in the post parade. Okay. That's all, all right. I have. That's all I have. Thanks to Declan Cannon once again. Not going not gonna to talk to a nicer guy. No doubt about it. Merry Christmas to all. We hope uh, everybody has an enjoyable Christmas. Hope everybody's healthy that's listening out there. And uh, we will see you. We've got a pod lined up next week. Until then, I've already forgotten. The, what's the, the tagline? You say it this time. Uh, gambling money. Something about gambling money. Something about home. Is that jogging your memory? Gambling money ain't got no home. Oh, it's so sexy. <laughs>